the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Tom Offerman and Jacob Breck coming at you on another edition of the Steelers Standard. We got Steelers and Raiders this Sunday at Heinz Field. We'll get a full in-depth matchup breakdown about the Steelers offense attacking the Raiders defense, the Steelers defense attacking the Raiders offense, all that good stuff coming at you on this episode and probably the next episode of the Steelers Standard as well. But before we get into that, there's a little bit of housekeeping I want to take care of, and that's pro football focus. These guys are all over the place. They're Tom. all over the place. I don't know what they, to believe anymore. Up, down, left, right. I, I can't make heads or tails of them. And honestly, Jacob, after this first week of the 2021 season, I'm ready to abandon PFF. And it's hard because sometimes when they have the good ratings, you want to take those and throw them out there on Twitter mm-hmm. and be like, look at this, huh? They mm-hmm. think the Steelers were like the third best team overall in football this week. They thought Cam was the number one defender. They thought TJ was the sixth best defender. Which that doesn't make much sense to me, honestly. I mean, great, sixth top 10 defender in all football is an awesome accomplishment, but I thought he was even better than that. Cam was number one, so I'm taking those stats, and I'm like, oh, yeah, pro football focus knows what they're talking about. Oh, they're the best. They're the best. Their formula is foolproof. But then you scroll down a little bit, and you find out, well, who did they think was the worst-rated quarterback in the league in week one? You know, most important position out there. Who do they thought really, you know, pooped the bed for their team on Sunday? Poop. Wasn't Andy Dalton. No, it was Ben Roethlisberger, and that has me scratching my head immensely because if I'm Ben and I'm seeing that, I'm I'm probably sitting down to breakfast looking through the internet and saying, well, they have me as the worst quarterback in football. Hmm. I just beat the Bills. <laughs> I just beat the Bills on the road without throwing a single interception or turning the ball over once. Oh, and I had a touchdown to boot as well. Hmm. That doesn't seem to add up to me. Like, how is Andy Dalton playing a full game of football? I'll go one further. How about Daniel Jones, who at the time— He was terrible in week one. Had his 30th fumble in his 28th career game, Tom. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, Ryan Tannehill, anybody? He played like crap Put on 13 Sunday. 13 points. He played With Derek terribly. Henry, Jones, A.J. Brown. Played terribly and turned the ball over. And so— that's the one that I was kind of like, are you kidding me? I mean, I know Ben That's does- the one. There are more, though. That's what to I mean. But that was the first one that I okay. saw. And I'm like, I know Ben didn't play great. Like, that wasn't his best game. But he was not the worst quarterback. He, he left the, the, AF, the defending AFC runner up's house with a win. And they were the favorite in that game after by almost losing, a touchdown. After losing to them each of the last, last two years. That does not constitute the worst quarterback in football for week one. So that one really upset me. But I still walked away with that and said, you know what? Ben has been getting this for a long time now. So this is nothing This is new. nothing, this is new, nothing for new for Ben. Right. Then I find who was the worst rated safety. This is unbelievable. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. The worst rated, number 72 of all the safeties. This is unbelievable. Was Minka Fitzpatrick. I'd love to know where that logic came from. That's the one thing that I walked away with saying, we need to figure, someone either needs to come out with with a concrete formula and explain to us how they get these grades, or they need to just shut the hell up with their grades. Because what numbers, you know, eye tests, analytics, did you put together to get Minka Fitzpatrick worst safety in football? Minka Fitzpatrick was phenomenal in that game. 
Did you, hear, huge... did you hear from Stefan Diggs? Did you hear from their receiving core? Obviously, it was more than just Minka doing that, mm-hmm. but Minka is the lifeblood of that secondary. And how many times did you see him, mm-hmm. at least twice, on a third down? Yes, I was just fly going Fly off the screen to stop yep. Singletary just an inch short of the line. And guess what happened on that last, the next play? It was that stupid backwards pass that they threw, and it ended up being a fourth a turnover on downs by the Bills. So I... I Thought and on Monday, you know, you hear the reaction around town on our show, our Monday episodes. And Minka, what a great game! You know, yeah, Cam and TJ they get the accolades, but Minka was kind of the quiet assassin. He he did everything right and made sure that the back end stayed perfect against mm-hmm. a really good receiving core. And Tuesday comes around and Pro Football Focus is like, yeah, Minka sucks. He's the worst safety out there. It's like, I don't. So Ben one really bothered me, but the Minka one is where they went too far, and that is why, even though they said Cam was the best defensive player in football. I will never take Pro Football Focus seriously again. Do you think we have Minka goggles on? No, I don't. I, think don't. So at all. I absolutely because don't. Do you remember during training camp the matter, which matter even less? The matter ratings came out and said Minka's the tenth best safety that we have on on our gaming system, and he's rated at an 88 overall. In what world is Minka rolling out a B plus average for a season? Each of the last two years, he's been on the Steelers. By the way, two-year anniversary that Minka Fitzpatrick has been in Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday. Changed the course of the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think, for the better two years ago yesterday. But in what world, Tom, is he A, a B-plus at best safety, or the 70, what, 72nd best safety in the NFL through week one? Yeah, it's a joke. It, like, that's the best word you can we use We don't have Minka it. goggles. It's this a is joke. A, this isn't a home team bias no. in any way. No, no like, and, and any other coach in the league would tell you you're crazy if you think Minka Fitzpatrick was the worst safety in football. other NFL teams out there would say, if Minka Fitzpatrick, the Steelers just paid T.J. Watt a lot of money. We don't know if they can afford to keep Minka Fitzpatrick. We have more money available to us. They're going to be able to afford him, and they're going to pay a ton of money because he's worth it. Oh, he absolutely is. I'm just say, speaking in hypotheticals. If that were the case, if he, the Steelers yeah. didn't have enough money, there would be 31 NFL teams lining up at the door, including the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> to bring him back. To bring him back. Yeah, uh, that was the one that was so egregious to me. Uh, again, I thought he played a phenomenal football game, and just because he didn't really show up on the stat sheet, I mean, he had, I think, tied for the most tackles on the team. I mean, what do you want him but to do? Other than pass defendant interceptions, he didn't need to defend passes. He didn't need to intercept the ball. They weren't throwing the ball towards him because his coverage was so well. I mean, it's it's absurd to, to even have that notion that you, Minka was the worst safety in football. It just really is. Do you want him to line up next to Cam Hayward, next to TJ Watt on the line against 300-pound linemen who are 150-plus pounds heavier than he is and try to sack the quarterback just so you can see him in the pocket causing some type of chaos or getting some type of stat, whether it's QB pressures or QB hits or a sack. He can't do that. Just because we compare him to Troy all the time, that doesn't mean he is Troy. That doesn't mean he has to look exactly like Troy Polamalu or else he had a terrible football game. That's not the case. And you bring up T.J. Watt and Cam Hayward, and part of me is thinking, okay, so what is the stigma around Minka? The 10th-rated safety in Madden. He's behind a, a handful of safeties in the NFL Top 100 list. Now he's the worst safety in football after Week 1, according to Pro Football Focus. Is it... Is it because that Steelers defense just has so many dudes on it that he kind of falls behind a T.J. Watt and a Cam Hayward, although Cam Hayward's kind of on the same boat nationally. He kind of falls under the radar to to national media and, and national fans as well. But is that the reason why? And then I'm thinking... But that doesn't happen to Tyron Matthew, and he has Chris mm-hmm. Jones on his defense. It doesn't happen to Jamal Adams. It doesn't happen to Jamal Adams, and that defense is the identity of that team. So 
I don't understand why Minka gets this weird stigma about him as being like, yeah, he's a good safety, but he's not really, you know, in the top two, top three, because he's the best safety in football. I've heard Matt Williamson say countless times without hesitation, and he does not have any Minka glasses on, that he is the best safety in all of football right now. And I agree with him. So that's our little tirade to start this episode. Pro football focus is just Where do you absurd. think you lie now? Do you think you're going to continue to uh, trust PFFs? I told you I'm not. Like, and it's going to be hard because, again, whenever I scroll Twitter and see them praise something that a Steeler did, like I- I'm going to say, mm, but I have to remember that it's BS. The rankings like, are so off. Maybe it's, it's offensive defense, but I can't even say that because they still have Cam Hayward and TJ as good as they are, even though we did say TJ Watt, there's no way he was the sixth best edge guy or sixth best uh, rushing defender and through week one, the guy had two sacks, a forced fumble, a ton of QB pressures. No, he was number two behind Chandler Jones. It was Chandler Jones, and then it was T.J. Watt last week. And, and it then, might have been Cam Hayward three. I think Cam Hayward was the number one overall defensive player. That's the thing. Like, I agree with him there. Like, I see them say that, and I say I can absolutely understand how you came to that conclusion. With Ben and Minka, I see them say what they said, them being dead last in their respective positions, and I say, I have no freaking idea how you could possibly reach this conclusion without having some weird personal bias against both of these players. If you win your game, that should at least put you in the category of you can be top 15. Now, some teams rely more on their defense or other guys, but that should at least bump you up to nowhere near, at least the top 20, right? If you win, if you beat another guy, that should, if you get that win, there's only one guy on a 53-man roster who's credited with a win, and that's the quarterback, the starting quarterback. So why is he ranked 32nd when he beat the team that beat him the last two years that got all the way to the AFC Championship game just a year ago? Didn't turn the ball over. I mean, that, the that's, that's the big keep. They're... they're they're probably looking at the couple – he did have a couple passes that he missed. The one that was the most egregious, to me at least, was he had Najee in the flat, mm-hmm. real close to the goal line. If he hits him with a good pass, he probably takes it into I the end I think that was zone. third and goal too. And it just goes a little over Najee's head. He tries to do the one-handed catch thing. It's just too high for him. Uh, okay, bad pass. I get that. He also had that weird ball that got intercepted, but it was called back because of holding, which, which it, was it was defensive holding. But it was a weird kind of throw that Ben kind of just like shot, put it out kinda there. Kind of like a knuckleball. So, yeah, he had some questionable decisions, but he threw for 188 yards. So that they're looking at that, and they're saying, well, that sucks. Quarterback throws for 188 yards in this mm-hmm. league. He had a touchdown. They're probably like, well, why didn't he have two or three touchdowns? And he had no interceptions. So it's just like, what do you want him to do? What do you Turn want him to do? Over? He protected the ball, and he man- he's not a game manager at all, but in that game on Sunday, he absolutely was. He managed the game. He didn't make the big mistake. That's what he said in his post-game press conference, too. It was like, I'm proud of these guys because the big thing is, even though we, we, we fought back and we started playing better in the second half, we didn't make the big mistake. Mm-hmm. We didn't make the big turnover. And that's the that's the biggest reason why this team was able to come away with a win. And he's right at the center of that because mm-hmm. he's the one that touches the ball every down. He's the one that can turn it over the most. Before we tie a bow on this, can I air a little grievance here? Is it really that bad? Is it Festivus already? Is it really that bad to be a game manager? No. You're it, down 10 nothing and a half. What do you want him to do? No, I think— Say, oh, you know, I, I, I'm not really a game manager, so I can't really lead us back from a, a halftime, double-digit halftime deficit. I can't do that. No, I, I, manage the game I agree enough. with you. I think that the best quarterbacks are malleable, and if they're down at halftime, they can be a game-maker or a game-breaker. They can make plays, Tom Brady. 
if they're up big at halftime, they can be a game manager. Tom Brady. I mean, he knows how to do things differently. He knows how to adjust his game based on how the game is being played. So I think game manager does get a bad stigma. I think it just gets this negative connotation as if you're just average. You're plain. You can go to Super Bowls with game managers. Yeah, absolutely. Game managers manage to win you games. The last game manager, quote-unquote game manager, who went to a Super Bowl was just two years ago. Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. He's got a good chance to probably get back there again or at least get into deep NFC playoff territory this year as a game manager. The team's great around him. Why won't you just manage the game so that all these great players can help you win? Also, I think it's a great asset to have a game manager to able to be able to just lead your team, execute, is Peyton Manning not the greatest game manager ever? I think in, he's in, that in, malleable in, a, in guy. a positive connotation. Yeah, he's not that. That, he, that guy knows how to read defenses better than anyone. What do you want to call him? Just an educated educated passer? No, I, I would call Peyton Manning a game manager because he manages the game better than anyone. He sees the game better than anyone. Yeah, that word has definitely gotten a negative connotation over the years, and I think that it's time we take it back here mm-hmm. on the Steelers standard. That we like game managers here. We like guys that we can manage We got a game the manager game here in Pittsburgh that won us a game in week 1 against Buffalo as the underdog. And he's one of those malleable guys too where he'll, he'll make some plays and he did make some plays down the stretch in that Bills game. Some big third down conversion passes from the worst rated quarterback in all of football from week 1. What a joke. Speaking of the worst-rated safety in Week 1, Minka Fitzpatrick, I think his hands are going to be full Week 2 against the Las Vegas Raiders. Let's get into the offense versus Steelers defense matchup of this game. The big question mark is Darren Waller. 19 targets on Monday Night Football against the Ravens. That's an absurd amount. You really don't need to guess what the offensive game plan is going to be for the Raiders come Sunday. Get the ball to that guy. So how did the Steelers stop him? You can't do it with just a linebacker. You're going to have to bracket coverage if you use just Schobert or Bush on him. I think the best option, and this is something that they're going to have to be a little fluid with because we're a little surprised at how Trey Norwood played on his first uh, game of his NFL career last Sunday, but they like to drop Norwood back and bring Minka up to that slot sometimes in that Buffalo game. I think you're going to see that a lot more in this game against the Raiders because I think the best way for them to neutralize Darren Waller, one of the best tight ends in football, is by putting the worst safety in football on him, Minka Fitzpatrick. (laughs) And, of course, I'm joking. He's the best safety in football. And I think his physicality, his speed, his outstanding man-on-man coverage skills for a safety, I I think that's going to pay huge dividends for the Steelers. I think there's a handful of teams that can handle tight ends like Kelsey and Waller, and the Steelers weren't one of them for a long time until they made this trade for Minka, but now I think they're right there, especially with the flexibility that a trade Norwood will give you if he continues to play like he did in Week 1 and lets Minka move up to that slot a handful Mm -hmm. of times and, and not lose too much on the back end. I think you're totally in a good position if that's the game plan. Trey Norwood was someone who almost didn't make this team as a six-round pick. Played 80% of the snaps in week one. I think when we did our predictions earlier in the offseason, he was the one that we circled and was just like, ah, this is the guy we'll say doesn't make the team. Which is odd because we continued to say Quincy Rocher was going to make the team. He made a team, just not ours. He, he was going to make our team for certain, and we were very questionable on Trey Norwood. The exact opposite happened. Quincy Roche, I think, got signed by the Giants, and Trey Norwood is still a Pittsburgh Steeler. Not only just a Pittsburgh Steeler, not only a guy who made the 53-man roster but maybe didn't get the helmet on week one, he got the helmet and played 80% of the snaps. So there's something that the Steelers and Kevin Colbert and company, or sorry, Keith Butler and company, like about Trey Norwood. 
No, absolutely. You don't play a guy 80% of the snaps if you don't uh, like what you're seeing from him, and especially when you didn't really have to. Like that mm. that dynamic of having him drop back to the free safety and having Minka come up in the slot a little bit, that was something that I don't think that they were you know, going into the offseason thinking they would have the ability to do. Mm. But now after a training camp, and they're probably sitting there going, you know what, Trey's been playing really, really well. Can we try this out? And they like, you know what? Let's do this a couple times against Buffalo. It works the first couple times. They're like, Trey's playing well. This mm. moment doesn't look like it's too big for Trey Norwood. And you know what? It makes sense. Comes from Oklahoma. Very blue chip program. He's mm-hmm. played in front of a hundred thousand people. Played against th- the best teams in, in the in the college football, football playoff. Yeah. He, he's been to stadiums packed like that. He's been to the Red River rivalry every single year, where it's half Texas, half Oklahoma fans and. Those, those two teams hate each other, so the fans hate each other even Absolutely. more. He's been in those kind of atmospheres like Buffalo, so that moment wasn't too big for him. And I, you know what? What an incredible building block for him to move uh, forward in his career off of. I mean, 80% of snaps in your first game as first a seventh-round pick. It's almost unheard of. But the flexibility it's going to allow them to do if he can continue to play 80% of the snaps if they call for it, it's just unbelievably massive because – now you have Minka just doing that roaming up and, and getting out of position and, and mm-hmm. confusing the offenses and taking out players like Darren Waller without having to commit two guys to him. I mean, this is one of the most dynamic defenses in football, and it seems to be getting more dynamic as we move forward. Yeah, it definitely is. And I, I think if you were to go back, you know, five, six years ago when the Steelers were left with guys like Mike Mitchell and Sean Davis and Artie Burns in their backfield, Trey Norwood would probably be the best available secondary man you had available to you. Wow, Jacob, is he the best defensive back they've drafted in the past ten years? The is the jury still out on Terrell Edmonds? Okay, that's a good point. I, I guess Terrell Edmonds would still probably edge him out a little bit in that category right now. But the past the, you years, know what? It's know. Edmonds and it's Norwood. It's probably it's really you know there was a guy even before Artie Burns. Sean Davis, Cortez Allen, I actually really liked, but he didn't, he didn't last pan out. very long. Yeah, and I you know what, Norwood might not pan great. out either. But it's very possible. So but far. at least when Cortez Allen came in, it was at the back end of, of Troy Polamalu's career. He was basically only had they only have a, a crossover span of about two three years with guys like him and guys like Artie Burns, Sean Davis that you drafted. They had to be the best because there was no one else in that backfield or no one else in that secondary who could be who could step up as a leader. Mike Mitchell was the leader. It was a leader I never wanted. It was a leader that I got and I never knew I couldn't I want less on my team. Now, Trey Norwood, the youngest guy on the team, has guys like Mika Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, Cam Sutton who earned his way into that starting lineup. He has real pieces around him to learn from, and I think that could help develop him. Granted, it's been one game. It's very possible that was just a fluke. Not necessarily a fluke, but that could be the best game of his career, and that's basically the ceiling you'll see out of him. But at least he's you don't have to rely on him to be your best defensive back available to you. One thing I want to see them do with Waller, because I think it's it's – you know, foolhardy to sit here and say they can shut him down completely. Mm-hmm. He's just too dynamic. Even for the best safety in football, Minka, he's going to give up some plays to him. Tackle him right away. 
just like you did with Diggs, just like you did it with Beasley against Buffalo. The Steelers the were ground. one of the best tackling teams in football in Week One. They did not let you know a broken tackle happen very often in that. I don't game. know what and, the numbers and, were, and they but the yak was very low. Very low for Buffalo. You got to keep that the same against the Raiders, and especially against Darren Waller. Minka, if he beats you on a route and he you know grabs a ball five to ten yards down the field, put him in the dirt right away. And I'm pretty confident that the Steelers will be able to do that based on what they looked like in week one. I mean, week one is usually the week when you're the worst tackling because it's, you know, finally the live bullets are flying. Everybody's going full speed, and and it, usually you see some some breakdowns in form as, as players start to, you know, get back into that full speed football shape, but not for mm-hmm. the Steelers in week one. They did a tremendous job of shutting Diggs down immediately right after the catch, and I think that's the same thing they got to do against Waller to be successful. you got to put him in the dirt immediately because he's a guy that can, if he gets into the open field, Stiff arm of safety into the dirt. Doesn't even need the open field, Tom. Two, just three needs a, guys a good to take move. him down. That touchdown he had against Baltimore just made the one move and dove into the end zone. Just shook the guy off. He's that big. He can just literally shake you off. Dove into the end zone. Kind of reminded me of that Jesse James play, though, because he, he yeah, jumped in. Waller's a great tight end, so he, he held onto the football. He jumped in. No, it kind of it, it came out when mm-hmm. he when he touched the when he touched the field. But regardless, just gave me a little flashback, a little uneasiness. Of the flashback there, but yeah, he's that talented. He's that athletic. He doesn't need much to get separation, to get a burst, and he just can make one move, whether it's with his feet or with his body, to shake you off or to stiff arm you, and he's running. So yeah, I think priority number one needs to be coverage. Once you get that coverage, if he does get the ball, get him to the ground as soon as you can. One thing that I don't think the Steelers really got tested defensively against Buffalo was their run defense, and that was just because Buffalo decided to not run the ball. That's in Buffalo's design, by the way. They don't do that because they were down in the game. As you all know, they were up for the majority of that football game. They just do not like to run the ball by design in Buffalo. When they did, the Steelers gave up some pretty significant chunks of yardage to Devin Singletary late in that game. So little nervous for me at least to see how they handle a team that's going to try to run the ball a little bit more than the Buffalo Bills it's not like it's a prolific we're a ground and pound football team I would say the Raiders identity is in the pass is in getting the ball in Derek Carr's hand and and utilizing Darren Waller but Josh Jacobs is no slouch he's averaged well over a thousand yards total from scrimmage in each of his first two seasons in the NFL Alabama running back you know those breeds we got one of those guys in our backfield they're they're almost always dominant when they get to this level, and Josh Jacobs really isn't an exception. He's a good running back. Very interested to see how the Steelers' run defense responds to actually facing a team that, you know, they're going to try to run the ball on you to start this football game, and if Jacobs can get downhill and he starts ripping off four or five yards of carry runs, then they'll probably stay committed to that run for a majority of the football game, and and that's the one thing I'm a little interested in, and it's also the one thing that I think they might miss Stefan Tuitt with. I think that their pass rush was just as good, if not <laughs> better, without Stefan Tuitt somehow. Uh, would get even better with him, of course, but I think his big body in the middle with Cam really helps neutralize that running attack. Uh, I think Aloualo is good enough to do it as well. Just it's kind of it's kind of just the unknown. I kind of got to see it, and and I think Sunday's the first time we see it because again they're not a ground and pound football team, but they will run the ball more than the Bills did. We said in a previous episode things to be improved upon from that Week One game, and we talked extensively about the offense in almost every category. Once we got to the defense, we kind of looked around, shrugged our shoulders, and go, I mean, what what else could you improve upon? It was as good as you could ask for. 
coming off of a great 2019 and 2020 season. But the one thing we did mention was the two Devin Singletary runs that came late in the game. And I th- I said that it was kind of a – I gave kudos to Sean McDermott to use his pass pass-friendly offense as a decoy to open up the running game for Devin Singletary to allow him to get back-to-back carries of 15 and 25 yards, which I think only resulted in a field goal that drive. I just gave kudos to Sean McDermott. Let me give kudos to our Steelers defense for bending but not breaking. I think they did that as as good as they did anything else was bend but not break, only allowing 16 points. You could say six of which came in garbage time because it was so late in the game and they were just struggling or they were just trying to put up points on the board to in order to come back against the Steelers. But I think those two plays by Devin Singletary are going to be one of the most reviewed plays or one of the, one of the most watched tape reels that the guys on defense will be watching this week saying, what did we miss that we were so much expecting a pass play here, but the lanes just opened up for Devin Singletary. So I think yes. those two plays will be learned upon, improved upon the most going into week two. One thing that you can do to take Josh Jacobs out of the game, we mentioned this on an episode earlier this week too, is Gruden just stops using him when the Raiders go down Mm -hmm. on the scoreboard. And we're not even just talking about that he stops running the football. He literally stops using Josh Jacobs in the passing game and in any aspect. And he's he's their second best skill player on that offense behind Darren Waller, in my mind at least. And you know what's interesting? They go out and they get Kenyon Drake in the offseason – Bit of a confusing team-building move. We mentioned earlier on another episode as well, Gruden, not the best team-builder. Goes out and gets Kenyon Drake. He was the guy they utilized in that Ravens game in the passing attack when they would go to a running back, and I get it because Kenyon Drake is good out of the backfield, mm-hmm. but Josh Jacobs is almost better out of the backfield, I would think. Probably so, is. So I don't I, think it's I, I'm very confused as to the way they're going to use these two running backs. Um, if you're the Steelers, you see Kenyon Drake in there, be ready to – to cover him in the passing game because that is an area that at least Gruden showed in week one they like to use him in. But, yeah, I think any time they take Jacobs out of the game for Kenyon Drake or they take touches away from Jacobs uh, if they're behind on the scoreboard, that's just playing into the Steelers' hands. Yeah, please. And I'm going to sound like I'm bashing Kenyon Drake, and I'm not. But, yeah, give the ball to the lesser running back, mm-hmm. please. Throw the ball to him instead of the guy that, if he's in open field, probably has a better chance of making a couple guys miss. Oh, I'm sure Raiders fans are saying the same thing that the Steelers fans did just a year ago when Jalen Samuels was getting more snaps than guys like Chase Claypool. Different positions, but still. Chase Claypool is a a game-breaker. Jalen Samuels was not, and there's no explanation as to why he was on the field for more percentage of the snaps than Claypool was. Different positions, I get it, but still the same argument. You're putting your lesser guy out there for more significant plays than you are your better guy, so the, the opposing defense is going to thank you for that. If I were the Raiders, I would try to run the ball early in this game. I would try to come out I formation, a lot of you know jumbo sets, Waller and their other tight end out there, help that inexperienced offensive line, try to move this incredible Steelers defensive front back a little bit, and, and try to run the ball, control the clock. You know, you, know, you don't have to keep the Steelers' offense off the field because no offense to Ben, even though you're not the worst quarterback in football, like PFF says, you ain't Patrick Mahomes either. No one's really trying to win the time of possession battle against you. But I think for the Raiders to have success, it's to wear this defense down by Early. just beating the hell out of them. And that you do that by running the ball. Um, so I think if the Steelers 
let those Devin Singletary-type runs happen early in this game. There could be some trouble, not to the point where the Steelers lose, but it's going to be a lot closer than I think a lot of people expect. But if they can shut down Jacobs early and nice three and out after two straight runs right into the defensive line, then they come back on their next possession. It's the same story. They can't get anything going. You're going to deflate this team. You're going to make them one-dimensional. And even though they can beat you as a one-dimensional team, they ain't the Buffalo Bills in that category. Mm-hmm. You know, It's not like Josh Allen and uh, four great wide receivers. It's mm-hmm. really just Carr and Waller at that mm-hmm. point. And Carr and Waller is as deadly of a tandem as, as you could get. No doubt. But once once they have a, a window or, or a cushion enough that Gruden, as you said, will kind of step away from from Josh Jacobs, it's going to be the Darren Waller show. And that guy is, even though if you game plan him for all week long, if you say he's got to be our number one priority in terms of strategy against, he can still have a big day. Well, we're going to keep talking about the Raiders' offense in the next episode. Got some more stuff to get to, including the man Derek Carr himself and the Steelers' pass rush versus a very inexperienced Raiders' offensive line. So we'll get into that to start the next episode and then work our way towards the Steelers' offense and how they can attack this Raiders' defense. That's going to do it for this one, though. Thanks, as always, for listening. For Jacob Recht, I am Tom Offerman, and we'll talk to you on our next episode of the Steelers' Standard.